play some high school ball. It was pretty good. And then I had Tommy John surgery. And then at that point, I started to struggle a little bit with the yips, which is uh, stemming from the injury. Um, so if anybody doesn't know what that is, that's essentially when, like if you've ever seen a golfer miss an easy putt, or a baseball player trying to play catch, and it's an easy throw, but you can't make it. Like, at that time, baseball was my identity. And all of a sudden, when you're this guy who's supposed to be really good pitching in college, and all of a sudden you can't play catch, like, you feel like you've lost your purpose. Like, you have no meaning. And people are asking you what's wrong. And they're like, oh, just, like, right here, like, throw it to me. And you're just freaking out in your own head, and you're trying to, like, not show it to anybody. And, like, nobody understands. Like, you are 100% all alone. We believe that you are strong by design, and you were made in God's image to have a strong body, mind, and spirit. You're listening to the number one strength and health authority podcast in the world. So let's get ready to unlock your potential and transform your life in today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Strong by Design podcast. I am your host, Mike Westerdahl, and I've got my friend Troy Erickson visiting the Critical Bench Compound today. Now, uh, Troy, he's a copywriter, and he's also an email deliverability expert. Our company has hired him and worked with him with his company called Lead Paramedic to help with our email deliverability. If you're not sure what that means, it just helps our email campaign perform better so that more people get our newsletters and our messages so that we don't wind up uh, accidentally going into like a promotion or advertising part of like your Gmail inbox. So he helps us get our emails to do better. We hired him. It did great. We became got to know each other that way, but then we got to know each other a little better. Last month, we were hanging out together in Salt Lake City. We're both members of the 100 million mastermind experience. So we were at a top golf together and just talking about email and getting to know each other better and found out he's local, lives really close. So he said, you got to come by. Let's do a podcast, work out, grab some food. So here we are. And so thanks a lot for taking time today to be with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's a little 30-minute drive over here. It's, yeah. uh, it's always nice, and uh, I was traveling for so long, and just driving through Florida is just, uh, it's fun. Yeah, but you're, you're not from Florida, though. How long no, have you been here? No, I've been here for a little over two years. Okay. Um, from Indiana originally, um, South Bend area, right by Notre Dame. Uh, pretty much lived there my whole life um, until I was about 18. Went to Iowa to play baseball, Division three. I transferred to Cedarville, Ohio, Division Two, um, And then after I graduated, it was like, well, I work on the internet, so might as well go to Florida. And a buddy there moved in and just really started leveling up at that point. Your website said Orlando initially. Is that the first spot when you came to Florida? Yeah, I came to Orlando. Um, my friend Jason was living there. He's like, hey, I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm kind of lonely. You should move in. I was like, okay. So lived there for about six months. Is um, he still there? No, he's, uh, he's actually visiting right now, but um, he's kind of moved uh, all over a little bit too. But we went to Tampa after that for a whole year, and um, we liked it. And then I got a house in St. Pete because I just kind of honed in on where I wanted to be in Florida. Um, and we've got a nice little community there, not just our team. We've got about seven people in person at the moment, and uh, we knit, you know, made a lot of friends in the area. So Yeah, it's, like, um, it's a hot spot here definitely for... Uh I think internet entrepreneurs and even especially in the fitness space, but I think San Diego, Austin, even sometimes Toronto, a lot of guys from that, those areas. So Salt Lake. Yeah. 
But love it. There's no taxes here. There's no <laughs> snow here. Exactly. Well, there's some taxes, but yeah. no state income tax. Like, same thing. I'm from New England originally, so we just picked this on a map. Came down to visit and loved St. Petersburg. It reminded me of a European city, but not with the crowds. Like, not busy. You can park anywhere, walk around, and it was really up and coming, too. Really cool spot. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of stayed that way, except there's less parking spaces. Right. Yeah, so. yeah it's growing for sure. <laughs> so um, you're originally, you said Indiana or Illinois? Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. So you're, you're a young guy compared to me, and you've had a lot of success so far. It seems like it's come pretty fast, which I don't know what you have to compare to, but I guess I'm comparing to me being in this for a while. And um, I, I contribute a lot of that, that you're a hard worker. Like, where did, where did that come from? Tell me a little bit about, like, your upbringing, your sports background, and how that kind of helped you get focused at a young age. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because most younger guys in their 20s, and I'm not blanketing this and saying everybody, but a lot of younger guys in their 20s, myself included, um, don't really get focused right away. They don't really figure out exactly what they want to do. And they can kind of jump around. We're a little weary sometimes hiring, like, the younger people. Everyone's different. You treat everybody like their own person. But there's just, like, a trend that people kind of quit within a year, wind up moving to another state, kind of quite haven't settled in. So how did you get so locked in in, like, what you're doing kind of so quickly? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing is I just got lucky to have uh, a couple of good parents that just instilled hard work in me, especially my dad when it came to baseball and you know, since I was a little kid, just playing, and by the age of 12, I was like, you know what, this is all I ever want to do. Um, so at that point, we started taking baseball very seriously every single day. Me and my dad are at the park across the street from the house. He's hitting me fly balls. He's hitting me grounders. We're pitching. We're hitting. We're doing all this. You know, meet a lot of cool people in the area. Um, play some high school ball. It was pretty good. And then I had Tommy John surgery. Toward- For those that don't know, that's elbow. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the worst injury that you can have in baseball. Um, at the time, that was 2012, I was 16. At that time, it was very uncommon for a 16-year-old to have that. Unfortunately, today, it's more common. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's a big problem in Is it a baseball. Y- overuse type injury? Or? Uh, it can be a lot of things. Like at the time, I never wanted to admit that there was like genetics involved because I thought that was an excuse. Um, but I mean, if you look at humans in general, we're not designed to throw overhead. And it's, uh, it's very stressful, especially if you get used a lot in travel baseball growing up. Um, and some people have more just like range of motion than other people, unfortunately. Or, I mean, you know, life plays out how it does. But I wasn't really blessed with the same like range of motion and, you know, like fast twitch muscles and all that. And it's like, you know, there's certain guys who have terrible mechanics. And it was just something I worked on every day and they were pretty good. And there's some people that just throw 97 and it looks like that guy's a walking injury and doesn't get injured. Right. Are you a pitcher? uh, Yeah. Primarily. I played outfield, too. I really enjoyed both um, in high school and college. But, yeah, it's just stuff that happens. And um, I was, like, already a hard worker before that. And then after that, it's a year of rehab. I get an entire year. Wow. So you missed your, what, whole junior year? So I missed my sophomore year. And then I couldn't pitch my junior year. I could hit, but I couldn't pitch. Um, And so I really just had my senior year to pitch and make it to college. And did okay that year, um, but, you know, good head on my shoulders, hard worker, definitely good enough for Division Three, no doubt. So that's where I went. Um, and then at that point, I started to struggle a little bit with the yips. 
which is uh, stemming from the injury. Um, so if anybody doesn't know what that is, that's essentially when, like if you've ever seen a golfer miss an easy putt or a baseball player try to play catch and it's an easy throw, but you can't make it. And a lot of times it's contradictory because it's like when you're like 200 feet away, you can hit the guy in the chest. And then when you're up close, you struggle. So I was kind of on and off with that. Is that uh, technical or is that mental? It's completely mental. And it's just a, like, it's a grueling process to go through your head when you're recovering from an injury like that. Because the, la- the only thing you can think about when you start throwing again is what happened the last time you threw. Is that I was 16 at the first practice outside, and throw a curveball, something pops in my arm, tingling all the way up instantly. I didn't know what to do because I was trying out to like be on varsity, number one or two pitcher that year. And all of a sudden, like, I'm experiencing this pain in my arm that I've never felt before. I don't know what to do. So I actually threw another pitch because, like, I was just scared. Sure. And then at that point, like, my coach, I was like, hey, I got to stop. Like, that was the first time in my life I ever said that. And there's, you know, a lot of things in between and, like, crazy. But you were able to to throw. It just was very painful? Well, I shouldn't have thrown that next pitch. No, that was a bad idea. Right. But um, you can... But it's, I mean, it's going to come out like 20%. Okay. Like, and a lot of pain. Um, I know what you mean with the mental part. Um, playing football after college, I went to Sweden and I tore my ACL at a practice. And uh, I got that tingling feeling like you're talking about, which you get dinged all the time in football. You just you stand up and shake it off and you're okay. But I went to stand up and I couldn't stand up and just fell back down. I'm like, all right. This one's more serious. And then you rehab for like, get the surgery, rehab for like a year. And then I didn't go back to football, but trying to play basketball and start squatting heavy again, it's in your head. Like, is this going to pop out like it was doing before? Yeah, it's uh, it's grueling. And it's just not a thing that I would wish on my worst enemy, to be honest. Um, and even worse than that is just like when you make it to college, and there's people that struggle with the yips without surgery. It's just like if you've ever seen the Ricky and Keel documentary, that that one starts to do a good job of talking about what it's like and tries to give people a glimpse of the, the mental anxiety you go through. And I couldn't imagine his because that's on a much bigger stage than I ever had. But um, you basically like at that time, baseball was my identity. And all of a sudden, when you're this guy who's supposed to be really good, pitching in college and all of a sudden you can't play catch like you feel like you've lost your purpose like you have no meaning and people are asking you what's wrong and they're like oh just like right here like throw it to me and you're just freaking out in your own head and you're trying to like not show it to anybody and like nobody understands like you are 100 percent all alone and i met one other guy who had that problem and he just quit and i i like in a way, I don't blame him, but I kept trying to play for like four years beyond that because I ended up transferring because like it, it, that was a weird time for me because like when I was on the mound, like I was fine. My problem was like warming up and like playing catch beforehand. And my coaches at the time, like they kind of, they didn't see it. They didn't have a lot of confidence. So I was like, all right, I don't even like the thing I'm studying anyway, so I'm going to transfer. Was that kind of like a fresh start? Yeah, it was sort of fresh start, um, spent some time just on my own trying to like overcome it. And for that next year, I kind of had the same issue um, where the like warming up was a problem, but pitching was fine. Um, I just wasn't as good because I moved from D3 to D2. 
And then at the end of that year, my coach was like, hey, like, you can try out next year, but you're not going to make the team. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he just told me again. And I remember going back to my Jeep that day and calling my dad and being like, I'm sorry. Because like, that, was, that was my identity. That's all we ever did since I was 12. And here I was, I was probably 21, 22. And I had to tell him, he's like, hey, we're not going to quit. Like, we're going to figure something out this summer. And you're going to come back next year. You're going to make the team. And he said this, and I was talking to him for like 20, 30 minutes, like as my coach was walking back out into the parking lot. And I was like, yeah, I guess we're going to do this. So um, at that time, I, I did the only thing that I knew how to do, just go to Cressy Sports Performance and like work, oh, nice. work harder. And that was a cool summer. That was fun. Like, Was I still, that in Massachusetts or in Florida? Yeah, Massachusetts. So um worked super hard there was around a good community i got like really good like pitching wise the the problem still hadn't resolved itself and like i was talking to like mental coaches like like hypnosis and uh brain spotting and like those things they make you feel really good when you're done and they've helped me with things in my life outside of baseball tremendously but like it just wasn't completely working but i came back that fall and on the stat sheet I was the number two pitcher on the team that fall for that fall season. And I still struggled a little bit warming up, but like I was lights out when I was there in the fall. And then the, like we had the meetings at the end of the fall and my coach was like, Hey, like, like obviously you made it. I was wrong. Um, and that winter is like, same thing. It was doing really good. And then the spring came and um, we were playing like the, this one, like, it still pains me to talk about this, but we're out there playing a, a team in South Carolina, uh, Erskine College, I think. Um, and these guys, like, to be clear, in baseball, like, you're if you're D2, that doesn't mean that, like, nobody's going to get drafted. It doesn't mean that they're bad. Like, there's a lot of good teams in D2 baseball just because there's so many guys that get drafted every year. And this team had, I mean, looking back on it, I think they probably had at least a half dozen guys get drafted. They were good. Yeah. Um, we were a Christian college, so we weren't quite as good. <laughs> And from Ohio, of course, so it's a little colder inside a little bit. Um, we kind of got our butt kicked the first game. Starter didn't do too well. Um, and then day two, uh, you know, we're not doing too well. But, you know, I was in the bullpen. I was going to be the setup guy that year. And um, uh, it, it was my turn to just go out there. Like, we weren't going to win um, either of these games. So he's like, hey, like, let's get everybody out there. So I go in, bases loaded, two outs. Um first pitch that's is, when he puts you in yeah as a okay yeah um, just to bail somebody else out who sure. wasn't doing good so it was like i threw a strike on the outside corner second pitch on the inside popped the guy up to left and got out of the inning and i remember walking off and i was like that was a high pop-up like that guy didn't miss it by too much like that was sky high like i definitely beat him like i threw a two-seam fastball jammed him went straight up but i was like that's a big league pop-up like that guy, like, these guys are good. So I go out there the next inning, and I throw another two-seam fastball, like, perfect pitch. Like, it starts low and outside. It, it doesn't start as a strike. It comes back and, like, barely catches the corner. This guy swings, and he hits it, like, 380 over the fence and right the opposite way. And I'm thinking, like, that's my best pitch. <laughs> And this dude just took it the other way. And I'm just like thinking, and I hear the umpires like, hey, pitch, pitch. So, like, give me a new ball. And I just kind of like 
something was like off at that point and i just got i, I still like don't know like you. i i can't think about what it was but something shook you up something and i can't really remember much of what else happened but i think i gave up like one more run that inning and got out of it and like the next day the coach was like hey like are you okay you good and just kind of overreacted to it i was like yeah i'm fine like it's just like everybody not to compare myself to other people but like you know like we all kind of had a rough day yesterday like i didn't get completely shelled like i gave a couple runs like it's not the yeah. end of the world i'm good like, what's the, what's the yeah matter? it's not awful you didn't lose the game a couple runs but the thing is with college especially if you like last year you weren't that good like that's where your coach's memory goes back to sure and then it's you know 10 days before you pitch again you're thinking about it thinking about it you just want another opportunity and that year, I probably pitched like eight times, and I maybe had like two good outings. And then I just like completely lost it at the end of that year. And I just couldn't find the strike zone at all. So I tried out again the next year, and I thought I was doing okay. And like I wasn't as good as the previous year. And this was my senior year. And uh, um, in the fall season, and he just came up to me one day. I got there really early because I was going to be the first pitcher that day at practice. And he was like, hey, you need to do better. You're going to get cut. And that was when I just completely lost it. Um, and I was like, I know I'm not as good as last year, but, like, I'm not doing bad this fall. But he just didn't want to. I feel like you almost that. got a label or a rap. That yeah, kind of I mean, stuck with you. Like, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and blame anybody else because I have my problems. Um, and it was tough, but, uh, yeah, I didn't feel like I was doing that bad. And I, I just kind of lost it at that point. And, um, and I remember going out there, like I did bad that day cause I just couldn't think. And then, uh, I think I had one more time out there and I remember this is going to be the last time I pitch and it sucked. And I remember the last, the very last practice. Like, I wasn't scheduled to pitch, and I just put my uniform on. I was like, this is the last time. Yeah. It's tough. And the next day, or next couple days, you know, my name wasn't on the sheet. Had a meeting, and that was that. And I had to call my dad again and tell him this time it was for real and there wasn't a chance. And uh, I still practiced after that. Still went indoors. Still tried to throw harder because that was the only thing I knew how to do that I could try to control that wasn't like this weird mental thing like I, I still don't have a grasp on it like you'd think that I do but even just going out and like playing catch there's something about it that just like other people are like watching me and like they're gonna see that I can't throw and it's just a weird thing and like sometimes it's okay but most of the time it's not and it's just this like weird thing and I probably need to you know it, it's never about the thing you're doing like it's not about baseball there's probably still some childhood drama stuck somewhere well i mean i'm not a psychologist we're just talking and right. but at the same time as a dad with with children and like it sounds awesome how supportive and how much time you spent together i don't know your family at all but it definitely sounds like there was some performance type of uh expectation perhaps where like uh like you got love when you perform well or do well in like baseball. And then if the baseball goes away, what happens to that relationship? 
It's like yeah, it's it's good with my dad. There's that's no good. doubt, but you know, it's yeah, it's but like, that was something you guys bonded over with yeah, your whole childhood, yeah. and then when that's gone, now what is the not you know, it's just what does that change into now? It's like the next the next phase, the next step, and you know, just like high school, uh, a lot of guys have their last game is their senior year of high school, unless there's some injury or something happens and they wind up not even getting to play all of high school. Then you went on and you got to play in college. How many move on and go to the pros? And how many people get cut right during training camp or get sent to the minors and get cut there? I mean, it's not many that make it very far. And it's just that dream that you had and wanting that and then it not kind of working out the way you thought it was, the way you'd envisioned it and hoped for it. But what what do you think you learned from all of this? Yeah, I mean, you didn't need to do five podcasts to tell you all that. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, there's just so much stuff going on in my head. And it's like, I, I kept trying after that. And I was still convinced I was going to go pro. And then, you know, COVID happened and I kind of just sat inside. Wow, this and, wasn't long ago. Yeah, and, and started just like doing stuff on the internet that I'd kind of done on the side. But, um, you know, we'll get to that. But uh it's just you you never think it's going to be you when you're like oh that guy got cut you never think it's going to be you're like he must have done something wrong he must have been lazy he must have skipped something and i just realized like hey we're like nobody's immune and it is really hard like i think seven percent of high school players play in college and i don't know what percent get drafted or signed like it's hard i never wanted to admit it was hard i never wanted to say it was hard like you were, all this, all, you were all in all this hard stuff. I just wanted to anything other than that was an excuse to me. And like I, there's healthy things about that for like growing, you know, as an athlete or in a business and some other areas. But there's really unhealthy things too. So and did this happen right around 2020 or right before? Um, so 20, uh, gosh, fall 2018, I think was the uh, yeah yeah when I got cut. So it's like a whole identity shift, really. Yeah. You've thought your whole life, I am a baseball player. And then when you're not, it's like, who am I? Yeah. And I tried to, I even joined this like local league one day because I was just tired of practicing by myself. And I was scared because like the reason I don't play, I, I still love the game, but I just can't prepare. There's too much anxiety for me to go out there and prepare myself. What about and just for fun? It's hard because like I, Everything I do is so serious. Like, I'm learning to lighten up. Like, it's gotten better over the last year or so, and and hopefully I'll get to that point at some point. But there's something I still got to work out. But uh, I remember I went out there in, like, an adults league and just carved it up. I pitched in two different games one day for a total of, like, 10 innings and had, like, a strikeout per inning. And I was like, this is fun. Like, I'm back. And then kind of lost it again. And just it's it's a weird cycle. But, um you know, there's just a lot of lessons about the realities of life and that hard work doesn't guarantee you anything. Um, and that it, everything is like really, really, really a blessing. And I had to learn a lot about myself too, that, um, it, you know, what, one thing is not everything and in humility and all those things that, uh, you never think it's going to be you, but at some point it's going to be. Cause even if you're Derek Jeter, like he doesn't play anymore. Right. Look at Tiger Woods has got accidents and injuries and surgeries. I mean, it could be over at any time and not just sports, but life. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, I remember being a teenager and you never think you really don't, you think you're immune to it and, and none of this stuff can happen to you. And it's like, as the older you get, 
you find out about friends that have passed away and died and drugs and car accidents and all kinds of things. You know that it could happen, and it's like each day, got to be thankful and grateful for it. But you you had a whole other path open up for you. Maybe that wouldn't have even been possible. Maybe that wasn't what was meant for you, you know? Yeah. And that's hard to accept that, that sometimes God has something better behind his back for you. It's like, you're like, can I have this, please? And he's, he says, no, it's not for you right now. But you don't know he's got something even better right behind his back. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, people always like to say that, you know, things happen for a reason. And that that was another thing that I didn't want to believe at the time. But it's like, literally, there's only one way that the world can play out. And that's the way that it does. There's no like alternate universes. Um, so what's happening in front of me is Until reality. we get in the metaverse, right? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I ended up at a Christian college, a place that I didn't think I'd be. I learned, like, I was Catholic growing up. And now I'm more non-denominational because I think that there's, you know, I'm not trying to start arguments, but, no worries. <laughs> you know, it's my opinion. I think there's a lot of like rules that were instilled into my head that kind of contributed to like how I am now as well. Um, and I ended up at Cedarville University and, you know, great place. I learned way more about the Bible than I ever could have imagined. Um, so that was good. Um, at the same time, on the business side of things, um, I stumbled across a Snapchat ad about making money on the internet while I was home from a trip that I didn't travel to because they didn't want me to go to it the year that I was struggling. Um, and I found out about like selling stuff on eBay and then like Facebook ads. This is like while you're in college. Yeah. And this was 2017. So this was my first year in Ohio. Um, and I started taking this Facebook ads course. I was like, that's cool. And I just basically took all like the relentless hard work and like that everything I do is that way. So I just did it into a regular like Facebook ads course. And at the time it was channeled the hard work into something else. Yeah. So I just go on Upwork. Well, that's like the answer to the initial question, right? Which was like, where did the work ethic come from? It came from this background in baseball all through your childhood up until the point where you weren't on the team anymore and now you're redirecting this one door closes another door opens yeah and i didn't even like it that much like it was kind of fun right but i mean you know what i wanted to do i just wanted to, just wanted to play but um i was like all right well I don't really have anything to do right now i already like trained by myself while the team was gone i'm just sitting in my dorm so might as well start taking this course and, and still well, a great <laughs> attitude. Well, it could have been a lot of destructive things you were doing instead. Yeah. Not <laughs> as much at Cedarville. They, they keep it a, a good environment for you to not get into the wrong things. Okay. So that's for sure. Um, but yeah, just being able to put the hard work into something else and got some clients on Upwork. Um, at the beginning it was like editing photos just so I could get some reviews and then it was like a little more email related stuff. I came across this guy, his name was Greg, and he uh, was working with a company called Bergabox. And they actually had a partnership with Gary V and with Matt Paradis from the Denver Broncos. And like, it was kind of a big deal. It was like an unhealthy meal kit, right? So like HelloFresh, but proudly unhealthy, like, okay. like burgers in the mail. Right. Um, and in this course, I learned about like click funnels and how to like run ads and target them. And at the time they were just sending to Shopify. They didn't know what a funnel was. So I was like, all right. And I just like set it up how the course told me. And it started to do well. We had a free plus shipping funnel with a little burger spice rub. And um, people started to buy. Um, It didn't go super well. 
And it was like going okay. And then Greg called me one day. He's like, hey, the investors pulled out. We're done. I was like, well, uh, that sucks. And he's like, but I've been a serial entrepreneur for, I think it was like 11 years at the time. And I want to start another business called Hustle Island because entrepreneurs were all hustling and we feel like we're stranded on an island all alone. So I want to make a community of us that kind of come together and we're just able to talk about it. So looking back, it was kind of like an early online mastermind. I don't know when masterminds started, but I didn't know what they were back <laughs> then. Um, and I was like, okay. So we created another free plus shipping funnel with a hustle t-shirt. It was the word hustle. And the letters were made up of smaller words like hard work, grit, persistence, things like that. Um, and we moved 24,000 of those shirts in one year through this funnel. And it's like... I think it was like a 600K a year business, which at the time to me was like, how's that even possible? Um, and it did well. And right before graduation, like my dad was like, hey, get a job, get a job, get a job. And he was like, why are you being lazy about getting a job? And I was like, I, I don't want one. Like, I just want to do something related to this. And then I could like try to play and I could try to like make money on the side and like wherever life takes me. So I told Greg about this. I was like, hey, uh, the old man is, is really trying to like make me get a job. I love him, but I told him no. And like, what are, what are we going to do? He's like, all right, we can start an agency. So we just emailed the list and got a couple clients out of it. I was just running ads for them. I was splitting it with Greg. I was, it was like a thousand bucks a month and I got 500. Had a few other jobs on the side. I was making a couple grand a month. And I was like, all right, this is good enough for me. Like rent at the time after college was $250 a month. With some roommates, right? Yeah. It, well, I had one roommate, just a crappy little shack across the street from the college. Still, you're making your own money. You didn't have to get a job and you're figuring out some stuff on the internet. Yeah. And it, I'm thankful for Greg. And like, he's, he's nowhere to be found on the internet. He's back in like the, the POD space now where he, he started like bootlegging t-shirts outside of Yankee Stadium when he was a kid. So he's, he's back in the shirt business, just, you know, like a, a more serious one now. He does really well. Um, but he just let me do so many things inside of his business on the internet. I'm just like forever grateful. It's awesome. So uh, I, I learned about everything there. Yeah, I mean, circling back to the conversation with your dad, that's, I mean, I'm sure you've talked to other people. It's so common to get that kind of response from uh, from parents, and it's not because they want. Uh, it's it's coming from a good place because yeah. they care about you and they want the best for you, and they don't know this new world of opportunities and how things have changed. Just like our kids might be doing stuff in the in the uh, metaverse and crypto stuff that maybe we don't know as much about and we don't understand. And we tell them just to start an online business and make a funnel. You know, it's like they want the best for you, but they don't get it. Where's your insurance going to come from? You're not going to have the safety, all this stuff. So just out of like caring, but concern, but not realizing that you know what you're doing or you're figuring it out. You're doing something you're passionate about that you care about. You're learning and you're ultimately going to have more freedom doing it this way, even if you fail, because failing's part of it anyway. That's how you learn and get better. My daughter just brought that up the other day. She's been uh, starting to make some slime and selling it on eBay. She's 11 <laughs> years old. 
And um, she was asking all these questions about college in the car yesterday. Do I need to go to college? Should I go to college? I'm like, you don't have to go, but, you know, it's not going to hurt you. You'll have a degree. It's a good backup plan. If you need to get a job, it'll help you. But, you know, you can take online courses and uh, start your own business. She's like, what if the business doesn't do good? I'm like, I m- might not. They don't usually right away, but you'll learn and you'll try something else and it'll be all right. But college is still a good thing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, me and my girlfriend, Julia, we talk about this and it's like, hey, if we have kids someday, you know, are we going to be like completely anti-college? And like there's things from college that like outside the classroom that were really helpful. And then in the classroom, you get kind of the basics and, they, you know, they don't touch what we do. Like it's not right. it's You're so not, it's years behind what you t- what I'm actually doing today. They don't teach in college. Same with you. Yeah. Like. We didn't learn anything we're doing in college, but at college, you learned how to manage your time. You learned how to do laundry, live on your own, pay bills, like some basics. Yeah, just the fundamentals. So it's like some independence, (laughs) some experience. Yeah. And uh, you want to go in debt for like $100,000 to get that when there's other ways to get those same things. Like I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to have to have my kids paying off college for 10 years after they're done. I'm like, that's not a good deal. <laughs> yeah, that, I was thinking about that, too. Just yesterday, we were talking about it. Like, it, the ROI is just not there. Right. You need to, you need it, to have it paid saturated. off. Right. <laughs> like, everybody has a degree now. I don't even look for it when we hire. I don't either. And a lot of people aren't. Unless it's you're, like, did you show up on time? You yeah. just beat, like, 90% of the people just by showing up on time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And having a good attitude. So, I was just happy that I, I didn't have to go the corporate route. And, um, some of our clients, like I was running ads at the time, this is like kind of when the breakthrough happened. So I, I didn't even know what copywriting was back then, but I was, you know, like writing the ads, publishing them. Um, there was another, like the guy who made the course I took, like I took some part-time work from him and it, which was like shocking to me that somebody would hire me at that point that I, I like looked up to, um, and I had like two, maybe three clients at the time. And one of them was like, hey, we have to let you go. And I was like, no. And, and they're like, well, we have to let you go. And I was like, why? Like the ads aren't converting. It's like, they look good on my end because we were just doing lead gen. It's like, what's wrong? Like the, they're cheap. They're coming in. They're the same that they always spend. Like, well, our email list, uh, it's not really going too well. I'm like, I'm taking a look. You're not firing me. I'll do it for free. When it's fixed, we're going to continue our retainer. And they're like, all right. So I went in there. Um, and I like that. <laughs> used a few things I learned from Greg. Like, I was really bad back then. That was my first time. Did you do this if a girl breaks up with you, too? It's like, nope. What's the problem? <laughs> Let me no, fix well, I mean, we all, we all think about that. <laughs> then you get shot down right away. They don't. They didn't say yes back then, but, uh, so they were sending like maybe two emails a week and they were going to spam and the copy was really bad. So I just went in, like wrote more. And I like, all I knew back then was like, if you're going to spam, just segment the list more, like only send to the people who open and eventually it'll fix itself. So that's what I did. And I just wrote more emails and wrote them better. And they started making more money. Like their list revenue went from like 13 grand a month to 51 just off of that. And they're like, all right, we'll keep you around. And it's like, okay. And at the time, like everybody was becoming a Facebook marketer. So I just was like, okay, maybe I should talk to my other client and see if I can do this for them too. And I I did and they were happy. And then I just kind of like 
I was like, all right, screw the Facebook ads. Like, nobody else is doing this email thing. It's really true. No one does it. Yeah. Still. So that's what I shifted to. Um, and then at the same time, like, I can't remember the exact time, but like September 2019, but somewhere on the timeline there, Greg was like, hey, um, I have this ticket to this event called Copy Accelerator. My wife is about to deliver. I can't go. Do you want to go? I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? Like this golf and Georgia guy, these guys are good. I was like, eh, like I'm on a little trip right now. I was making like six grand a month. I like went and visited some family and like, I just love the West coast. It was like completely new to me at the time. So I was traveling um, and I didn't want to go. And then I met up with somebody that I really looked up to at the time. And, um, and he was gracious enough to like meet me in person, even though we hadn't met. And he was like, Hey, um, I asked him, I was like, what's the key to your success? And he said, going to events. So I was like, oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> I called back Greg, and I was like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I will take you up on the ticket. Um, but there's one other thing. And he's like, don't worry, I got your flight. I was like, okay, thank you, because I was, I was worried about that. So um, I flew into Copy Accelerator in Austin, Texas, and, like, everybody in there was, like, a big business owner, and I didn't have a clue what was going on, but that, like, opened my mind to our world. Because when I was doing this stuff, I still didn't know there was like a group of people out there that did what I did or like similar to it or like wrote words and long letters that sold people things. Like I was very afraid to sell anything that was like more than a hundred bucks because I just didn't have confidence. Um, and all these people were selling like, you know, $20,000 packages to join their mastermind. And I was like, I couldn't even imagine having that much money. So um, obviously I didn't join, but like it was a free ticket and I became really good friends with Stefan. Um, and by the time the next event came around, I just had a little bit more than I had last time. I had like a, right before that event, I had a, a $9,000 month and I was stoked. And I went to that event and I was right before COVID and Stefan introduced me to a few people. He's like, Hey, Troy does this email thing. And I kind of started calling the email list management. So it's like, write all your emails, make sure they hit the main inbox, build some automations that make you money on autopilot. Sound good. People were like, yeah, it's charging. So many people don't know how to do it. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like in business or at least in direct response businesses, there's, they're good at one thing, but not necessarily the whole, the whole funnel where they're either good at getting the customers, but they've got no back end. So the the back end would be the email follow-ups or the continuity or what else do you sell these people after after they've joined your community. So it's like you're either good at front end or back end. And then a lot of people are good at the front end, but then they don't know what to do with them later. And they just let the email program sit there and just do the basics and just really leaving a lot of potential on the, on the table. Yeah. So I, like at the time I was charging three grand a month and Stefan introduced me to like three clients that day. So you can kind of do the math. And all of a sudden I started, you know, I was on pace for making multiple six figures and I left that event and closed those people down. And I was just sitting there like shaking. Like I didn't know what to do. Right. And then the country closed down and I'm just sitting there. And like, that's the point where I kind of stopped playing because I was just too busy. Um, and I just sat on my laptop and like worked and I was locked inside I got back from the event. I was just sitting at home with my dad in Indiana. And we, like, you know, we thought it was serious at the time. So I didn't leave the house. It just, just sure. works. Um, and if you were uh, in Florida, you'd be leaving the house. <laughs> it was, it was different here. It was, yeah, it was different. But, um, I think I made it to like 
31 grand a month by the time that like i was planning on moving to florida so by the time i moved i was at like 31 a month and i was like i did not even know that it was possible to like make that much um and then from there i got to florida and just you know really scaled it out and started deliverability offered you know you bought it. Well, now so. you know. Now you know it's possible. It's like, what's the next sticking point? Because you know this. It's if you believe it, you can achieve it. This other group I'm in, um, they talk about the difference between millionaires and billionaires, and it's not their education, it's not their their skill set or their work ethic or their strategies. It's all mental. What you think is possible. That's the difference. Yeah, like I got to think about that when I write to people too, just based on the audience. And, uh, you know, I'm just, and I, I kind of have, I built up like a personal brand because of that story. And it's like by accident. And like, I, like, there's all these people, you know, like doing copywriting and trying to make it. And I just like kind of popped up and didn't know what it was and like just hit the ground running and just, you know, very thankful for that. And, and just trying to like show more people like obviously I do these things myself and myself and then I teach it to other people um, that's pretty much my whole business right now it's like we'll run your list or if you already have somebody running it then we'll fix your deliverability and on the other side we just teach freelancers to do that right uh, who introduced you to us I remember there was I forget who it was though, but somebody uh, did an email intro that's how I heard about you but I'm blanking right now who, who did the introduction I could check my phone I'd have to go back and look. I'm, I can't remember right now, but somebody introduced you. So referrals to other people's got to be a huge part of the business. Yeah, I mean, um, just this year alone, like we haven't really run many ads. Like we've just oh, been Robbie sitting. Romero. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah to us. Robbie got good results too. He's cool. I met him in Austin. So, um, yeah, it's you know we've done a lot of organic. We've run you know good amount of ads too last year, and we're about to scale again. And everything's really clean. And you know I'm doing better than ever thought i could and uh like we had a seven figure business last year and this year we're probably gonna like i don't know what we're gonna end up at but probably like three million and it was just like crazy and and now that i'm in other groups like there's people doing like a hundred times that per year and it's just it's this crazy thing of always wanting to level up and uh it's just like a fun game that i i play now and some people ask about like like isn't that hard and i'm just thinking like uh, to to go back to your first question, like when you're pitching and something goes wrong, you have like 10, 15, 20 seconds before you got to throw the next pitch. You got to look at all the things going on around you and make a decision and then execute it physically. But in business, like I have, like if somebody has a problem and I can't need an answer tomorrow, like 24 hours is a lot of time compared to 20 seconds. And it just, like, that part just makes it seem so much easier. Fair enough. Like, that's, that's what I like about business. It's just, it's so slow. It can be. It can also be slow when, uh, when you feel overwhelmed or if there's too many opportunities or distractions. As entrepreneurs, we kind of see a lot of opportunities and shiny objects, get a lot of things presented to us. And a lot of these things sound like great ideas. And uh, sometimes too many ideas and too many opportunities can kind of cause an overwhelm or an anxiety feeling, which then for me or for a lot of people, it leads to kind of a paralysis, which then kind of does a funny thing with time as well. When you feel stuck because there's too many things to do, too much going on. And that concludes part one of episode 249, when one door closes, another one opens, featuring Troy Erickson of Lead Paramedic. 
with host Mike Westerdahl. Thank you for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. In just a matter of days, part two will be releasing on Saturday. So look out for episode 250 to conclude this fantastic conversation. We'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to the Strong by Design podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe so that more people can find out about our show. Plus, you don't want to miss any future episodes with the amazing guests and topics we have lined up for you.